I'm Lorraine Salazar, and this is Everyday Heroes. Today, my guest is Kevin McGeehan. He is a red-haired, four-time Moth Story Slam winner, and his story, It Matters a Great Deal, is featured on both the Moth Radio Hour and in the Moth's 20th anniversary book, All These Wonders. Kevin currently teaches improv and storytelling at Second City Hollywood. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Lorraine. Sorry, caught you mid-drink there. I thought I had another second. I know. I wanted to start with... Well, a little introduction. You're a teacher at the famous improv school, Second City. Correct, so far, yes. Yes. And how long have you been teaching there? I've been teaching there for, well, I've worked for Second City since 1997. So I've been with them 22 years, but I've taught for 15. Okay. And how did that transpire? Through a series of emails that worked <laughs> out correctly. That you wrote. That I wrote. Uh, at the time, I was touring for the National Touring Company, and in between, in between any of our gigs, there's still some time in Chicago, so I would just try to get a job where I didn't have to have a real job. Got it. I wanted to still maintain my fantasy jobs I was living in within this one famous improv theater. Sure. So I started teaching, and then it just became something I did to supplement income, and then it, over the years, and then once, once we got past a decade... Then it started becoming just this thing that I absolutely love and cannot see myself doing anything other in my life. That's awesome. Did you always want to be a teacher? Uh, No asterisk. Meaning. Hmm. It was never something I thought, I'm going to be a teacher. However, my mother was a high school English teacher, so I was brought up with that being a noble profession. And also, I grew up loving Indiana Jones, and I thought that was the most wonderful life of you teach your classes, you go have adventures, you come back to your classes and girls write love you on their eyelids. (laughs) Were you always wanting to do comedy? Were you always? Yes, but I never saw it as a thing to do other than a thing that I love so very much. Like Like a thing that was possible for you to do? Okay. It wasn't until college that I went to go see a Second City touring company had come to the Wright Union Ballroom to perform their touring company show. And I went there with my then girlfriend and I was just blown away by this. And I remember this moment because I turned to her and said, that's exactly what I want to do. And yeah, my long-term memory has chosen that moment as As like, that's the beginning. That's when I, the change, the the turning point, the turning point for now, this is what my pursuit was. I could not get that idea out of my head. So right after college, I moved to Chicago with the (laughs) suicide mission of $1,000 in my pocket, don't know anyone in the city except uh, the two guys I'm moving with, and just show up there. And then it just happened to work out through many years of, it didn't just happen to work out. I worked very hard. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I was really downplaying it to a really low level. But yeah. You wanted to go. You made it happen. And then once you got there. It became improv show after improv show class after class until I got noticed and was eventually hired and then I toured for uh, three and a half years and it was my favorite job in the world yeah hands down where did you go to college University of Florida okay and is that where you grew up I grew up 90 minutes from there in Jacksonville Florida okay and then I made the huge leap to a state school that was still 90 minutes away from my home so just far enough, but not too far where I couldn't still feel the umbilical cord. Did you 
leave college to go to Second City? Right after it. You graduated. Graduated. What did you get? What did you graduate with? What was your degree? A Bachelor of Fine Arts. Okay. I know, right? I'm sorry. I don't mean to brag, but I have a Bachelor (laughs) of Fine Arts. But you were in the arts, like that. So you knew that was something that interested you. Yes. Even then. Yes. It's interesting how like the dots do kind of connect. The dots start to connect. Yes. But the other thing I found interesting that is so in my personality and is unfortunately something that has been reinforced in my life is the, I discovered a loophole in the system within the theater department for the University of Florida. You did. To be in the BFA program, you had to re-audition every term to maintain that. Wow. However, the loophole I found was don't ever audition for it, but take all of the classes that are needed to have that track. And then when you're about to graduate and they love you at this point. You've won them over. I've won them over and just said, (laughs) by the way, I've never done this. And then they had to change the rules following that because I went into my advisor and said, here's what I did. (laughs) Sneaky strategy. Keep in mind, it was also yeah. it wasn't a mach- like a machination all the way through. It was one of those things I realized towards the end, and then it became I'm not going to say anything. Your plan could have not worked too. It could have blown they up. They could in have my not face. liked you every. Tur- you know, it's- I was confident though. I was pretty. Confident. <laughs> but you knew. I knew. Yeah, and it came out to be true. I have. It worked. I officially have a bachelor's of fine arts. Why is comedy important? Why is it why is it meaningful to you? To me, okay. To to you. Great. Because at first it was a very general question, but yeah. now it's much more specific. Because we all like to laugh. Of course. <laughs> yes. But beyond that, do you find there's any special meaning importance to you? Yes. Beyond just the rush of endorphins and the pleasure that laughing sure. brings you. One of the things I find absolutely invaluable about laughing and just finding things funny is that it allows you to get over things that are in the moment mortifying. Hmm. But if you can look back on it later and laugh, it's one of those things where now that pain of that moment is gone and now it's an absolutely hilarious story that you have. So I find it important just in the getting over things that are challenging. Like just our everyday life, our human, our humanness. Our humanness. Yes. So that's why I find it important. One of the things I do beyond Second City is that I tell stories. And mm-hmm. that's such a broad statement, but... It's true. Yeah. You are a storyteller. So I will go on stage and I will tell stories from my life to strangers. And hopefully they will get something out of it beyond just, I'm going to talk about me for a little bit. Sure. That there's something to it, something relatable that all human beings have to deal with in some way. And there are many things that I cannot believe that I'm comfortable talking about in front of strangers. Hmm. <clears throat> things that at the time mortified me, absolutely mortified me. But now with the benefit of retrospect, and also when you tell it to people, one of the things that we are striving for, actually, I'll speak for myself. One of the things I'm striving for is just connection with other people. Yes. To know that you're not alone. We all thing, are. Oh, yeah. I, yes. I could have spoken for mean, everyone. But, but, but yes, I like that you personalized it because you are not alone. I will vouch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, 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 it connects us. It connects us. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I love about storytelling and stories in general is that our brain is wired for narrative. We hear a compelling beginning. 
I love and that. A, and interesting in a heightening middle, we need to know the ending. Yeah. It's going to be satisfying. If it's a good ending, it's going to be so satisfying. How we- many times do you watch a movie and it doesn't have an ending? And you're like, oh, that movie, it didn't end. Like, it, it ended physically, but like, it didn't like plot wise. It didn't tie and enough like, stuff ah. up. Well, which is why. The- so that's interesting you bring that up, that our brains actually want that to see that end. Well, the global phenomenon of Lost or Game of Thrones. Yes. That they were, we were on the edge of our seat with these stories, but neither of those endings That's a good example, yes. In a way that felt like this journey we'd gone on was tied up in a good fashion. Sure, and that's what But then things our like brains Breaking want. Bad yes. is considered a really good, good ending because it does fulfill everything that they set up mm-hmm. within it and people may have their complaints but for the most part like that's a really it good ended. story it yeah. checked things off mm-hmm. our brains i think were happy with that satisfied Every, with everyone's the leave off. ending everyone had a completion to their story mm-hmm. yeah was so your mom raised you pretty much growing up Did, was your dad around uh my parents divorced when i was 10 okay so i became the product of a single mother from that point forward. And yeah, it was. It's and like, you're an yeah, only child. Only child. Okay. So just. You and you and mom. Me and mom against the world. Right. Not in a. How was that? <laughs> how was that? Uh, I like that. Wonderful. Moms are powerful. Oh, yes. it was. But there's also that point of like the dad factor too, where, you know, and how you felt about that. It's an, I've thought a lot about divorce in the last few weeks. I was working on a story that involved part of that, so it gave me some just to mm-hmm. reflect on a deep time period. But one of the things my father said that I completely agree with, that we were talking about it in just terms of looking at it as an ending, and we'll get to this, but uh, I'll jump ahead. When my mother died, and all was said and done with that story, with the story of her and their marriage. Which I do want to get into that event, too. Oh. Well, yes. I'll find a way to organically <laughs> well, yeah. work it in if we don't. Um, yes. After all was said and done, someone asked my father, he said, don't you wish you hadn't left now or something like that? To which he responded, no, because if I had stayed then those two would have never become what those two became, which was the closest. My relationship with my mother is one of my favorite relationships I've ever had. Mm. Just. And you became closer after. After. Divorce. Of course. Yes. Yes. And that's also an age too, where you're becoming more of a little adult. (laughs) The littlest adult. Yes. (laughs) Put into uh, adult emotions earlier than. One would hope a little little adult has to do. Did you and dad have a relationship after they divorced? Yes. Asterisk. Okay. Uh, weekends, and then sure. they moved out of state, and then it became two weeks out of the summer a year, so it became... A little just shorter periods of time. My mother was my parent. Yes. My father never interceded he never did anything they were in that very, role in that like in role the, like mm-hmm. he never like oh how dare you let him do that let me talk to him i'm going to tell him he he left all it. parenting to her mm-hmm. 
and he deferred to her, which I thought was a very cool move in that sense where he wasn't trying to lead from afar. Yes, there yeah. is something to be said for people that are like, I'm going to let you be and let you do it because I am mm-hmm. like not there and how can I try to manage that from you know from here? Yes. So now I do want to talk about, as you said, your mother passed away. Yes. Okay, and that I said was that a life. Excited than it sounded. Than <laughs> that yeah, was. I meant such a well. That was life changing. It would be for anyone, but that was. Tell us about that. How? Tell us what happened and how you found out what was going to happen. And I know you said you have said that you got a phone call. So, in a nutshell, in January of two thousand six, I got a phone call from my mother saying that she had just been diagnosed as terminal given six months to a year left to live, and she asked me to come home and help her through it. I said yes, put my life on indefinite hold, and went home to live with her for what would ultimately be her final five months. In that time period, because we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what her fate was going to be, one night, because of a West Wing quote that we heard. It's a great show. It's such a great show. But it changed us because there was a quote on it, which was from the movie Lion in Winter. Uh, And they were referencing that movie in the show, and... Basically, the, I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but it was, we all fall, and it matters. But when the fall is all you have left, it matters a great deal. Mm. And then that led us to start talking about her knowing, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your time is limited. What do you do with it? And it was interesting to watch. We had tons of conversations about what do you do with it? So we right. based what upon do that, you do with what do you do? It? When, you, when you really know this is it. Do you my, let it wallow? Do you let mm-hmm. it make you sad all the time? Do you just let your mortality be the thing that is just right. the dominating factor in all of your decisions? What or changes? What changes? So we made the decision that we were going to embrace this and we were going to make the best out of it. So we made, we started planning a party. And Her wishes, pro- or combin- you both decided to do this, or she- well, we, one night I suggested, wouldn't it be fun slash funny if we threw like a bon voyage party for you, mm. like a like a grand but goodbye, and we could invite people from all around the country, all the people you know from every generation. Yes, and she loved this idea, and just we awesome. were just just sitting over dinner, yeah. just like this would be great. Oh, that'd be totally. wonderful, and just the fantasy of it was enough to sustain us that night. Yeah, it lifts your spirits. Yeah, and then we. Talked about it to her youngest brother, my uncle Andy, and we mentioned it to him, and he got the ball rolling. Like he said, let's do this. And he supported started, it, started supported helping. It. And then from there, it just became the thing that we did was plan this party. We dealt with all the stuff that you have to deal with as a person is in decline, but not every day was spent just on that. We also had this other party to plan. However, I say that. Let me throw this in there. It also added a level of stress because it was like planning an event the size of a wedding. However, the one difference is the bride might die before it or during. So it became the, like sure, it was a high stakes a, thing, yes. thing. So we finally get to the day of the party and it is absolutely magnificent. She enters the room to a standing ovation of a hundred and I think 20 people up from all every generation of her life had all gathered there for her standing ovation. I go up and I perform just like a a prepared show, quote unquote. I brought in a bunch of friends of mine from Second City, Chicago, and it was just this fun, funny night. Mm. And then eight days later, she died. Eight days after the party. Eight days right after. Did you guys know the date that you set for the party, that it was getting 
close to her oh, timeline of yeah it started right at the six months for the when six her month. party was okay so she was, she was given just, six months to a year so we started it so right, right at, at that six month point of okay and it was actually about six and a half and it became that thing at the end where five days before the party, she collapses in front of me. I have to dive on the floor and catch her before she hits the ground. <gasps> a few days before the party? Five days oh before it. I got to take her to the hospital. We have. I'm told she's not going to make it through the night. However, oh my gosh. they're able to, it, long story, very in, encapsulated. She's able to get out the next day. But that was the day that all the relatives started to arrive. And not all of the relatives thought the idea for this party was awesome. Oh. Some thought it was morbid, morbid inappropriate. What is this abomination you're asking us to come to? But it was the coolest thing because it became her thing Mm. that she wanted to do. And it was, she made me promise that this party was going to go on with or without her. Oh, wow. That this would be her funeral, if not, but it was Mm -hmm. going to be her her party if she was there. Did even the naysayers show up? Mm-hmm. They were there. And, and they na- had a great time. They naysayed. <laughs> they said some nay. And, uh, <laughs> but they were, uh, it was a beautiful event and it was an undeniable beautiful event. And so even the naysayers just, it turned their were, heart were, maybe. Or, yeah, yeah. There were few, there were very few of them. Let me stress this. Yes. This was, was not like a brigade coming at us. Of, what are you making us come to? <laughs> It was like two, two or three people that were just, mm. we have different views on the world and we're not going to veer from them. How do you know your mom loved it? Two reasons. Things she said and also in the 13 years since, a romanticization. That's not a word. Uh, I like it. Thanks. I, I romanticized. Uh, oh, there you- things she said and me romanticizing that whole time period. Mm. This requires some exposition, but one of the things that led me to do this whole party, we're actually, you know, uh, we're already we're already in the planning of the party. We're about two weeks out, and one night we're playing a game where we're telling each other our secrets mm. because this none of our none of our secrets matter anymore. No, so we just let like, it out. Let's right? let, let it, it go. <laughs> the game was actually called "Tell Me Something You Never Told Me, and I'll Tell You Stuff I've Never Told You." And we went. Did back. you guys have many of these? Oh, I had more. <laughs> Being the son, of course, Of right? course, but just also uh, someone growing. Yes. Uh, like, you're going to experiment with things. I told her about some of my experimentation. Sure, yes. Stealing beer from a grocery store I worked at when I was 16. I know, right? Ooh. I know. Yes. The statute of limitations is long run out. <laughs> so you're okay. You're safe. I'm safe. <laughs> yeah. You. But jumping to hers, after yeah. we're going back and forth, I'm telling her a bunch, we're laughing. How fun. And then she says to me this, that when she was 24 years old, she married my father. And never being one of the popular kids, she was nervous to have a wedding shower thrown in her honor. But her roommate at the time was also her maid of honor, and she said, oh, don't you worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. I'll take care of it. We cut to the day of the shower, and my mother, my grandmother, and that roommate sat in a sparsely decorated room for over an hour, and no one showed up. And to a 24-year-old woman, this was a devastating and defining moment for her that in her brain for the rest of her life was, "I'm no one comes to my party. Right. So she tells me this two weeks before the biggest event of Of her her life, life. and it just raises the stakes even Even more. Even more. The pressure and the... So that's how I know Mm. she enjoyed it, because at the very end of the night, 
she called me over to her, beckoned for me to lean down, and she whispered in my ear, thank you, Kevin. This was so much better than my wedding shower. Oh. To which I responded, oh. you're very welcome, but that one wasn't hard to beat. <laughs> was your mom sensitive? Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Oh, was, was and your mom rubbed, funny? Yes. <laughs> uh, her sensitivity and humor rubbed off on me like like a Brillo pad. <laughs> yeah, it's embedded. So, your mom passed. What did you What did you do after that? You had spent six months taking care of her. You, yes. You moved home to take care of mom. Yes. And you had this very emotional, you know ride you were on with her and then what did you do after that uh i went through for the first time recognized grief meaning i'd grieved before in my life but i was unaware of it because you don't necessarily associate things like that with the with grieving like a a job ending someone leaving your life like all those things but when it's a death you know emphatically in a binary sense, you will now be grieving mm-hmm. because this death happened. So it was the first time I kind of recognized this is what grieving is. And then through a lot of therapy, one of the things that was said to me that was one of those, oh, thank you so much moments was her saying, you've been grieving a long time. You just didn't realize it until now where you're just recognizing it all at once. So it's just that's interesting, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So you did get therapy. I did. After this, yes. to help yourself out. Oh my God, that's awesome! I was, I was hobbled. And I, sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees, and so it's like you can't even do that much. You know what I mean? But the fact that you were like, "No, okay, I have to get some help and support with this." Sure, and yeah, I don't want to paint myself in a. I'm really healthy mentally. Sure. Meaning that was probably a year and a half, two years after, after when it became to the point where I've got to do something, right? Because. I'm not able to just muscle through this. And you talk about how your mom and you were like best buds, best friends. And so, you know, I'm sure it's devastating anytime, but when you're super close and that's like your person and now it's... Here's the way I was described it was it's, there are many chapters in my life that have ended, Mm -hmm. but this was the first time I felt like it was an act break. Got it. Like a full act Act. it ended. Permanence. Yeah, that now we got to go on to the next part of this, which is when she's gone. Right. And how do I cope and how do I handle this? How do I fight the Death Star when Ben is dead? Right. (laughs) I should have said Obi-Wan, but I don't want to use any more uh, nickname Ben Kenobi. (laughs) The truer. The truer. The truer name. Yeah. And what did you, what did you learn what was the biggest thing you learned after this? Was there anything you learned walking with someone um, to their to their last breath? Do you mean with her or just in the experience overall? Because now I have a, a bunch of time behind me with it. I would say with her, and, and, and you know, walking with someone and caretaking with them to the very end. The biggest thing I learned, the first thing that pops in my head from that, is. Do what you want to do, not what you think other people think you should be doing. Mm-hmm. There were many people that tried to impose on her what they would do at the end of their life as opposed to 
supporting her for what she naturally wanted to do for hers. Interesting. For her, for her she reread 60 books and she kept track of them in a little log, a uh, little log book that I got for her just so I could have the titles of them all. But over the course of that time, she would just read constantly because she wanted to experience those books again. Wow. She was a reader. Huge English teacher. English teacher. That's what I was thinking. So that for her was the way as you're just heading towards this, read as much as you possibly can. But for other people, it's like, why don't you take a cruise or why don't you go skydiving? Like that kind of stuff. But it's, yes. it's them. The bucket impos- list. The bucket list stuff. But it's them imposing on someone else what they think is the right thing to do. Yes. And we never know once we're in, I think, a position like that. We'll never know until we're in it. Right. The bucket list sounds good. And maybe we do check everything off the bucket list. But maybe now that it's happening to us, we don't. Right. And we do something else. We do something else. So she read. She read. She read. She sat in her garden. She she cooked. She did. She hung out with you. Hung out with me. I mean, I was her companion. Yes. I had nothing else. It was like we were living together when we first were in that house. It was... House you grew up in? House I grew up in. Okay. Everything lots of was memories. Just, lots of memories. Uh, our behavior patterns went right back to the dynamic in which we left at 18. Mother, son. Mother, son. Uh, but we loved each other. And we liked each other. And we made each other laugh. But my God, mother, son fights are just parent, Hurdles child. Oh, yes. Those parent, child fights. They're strong, just, right? They're strong. Those, those roots are strong. Because there's so much autonomy that I was fighting for my autonomy because I'm yeah. a grown man. I'm 35 years old. Sure. And I know how to do this. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm going to do my laundry when I want to do my laundry. My favorite example is one day we are in her car. I am driving and she's in the passenger seat. Oh, no. I can already. <laughs> okay. Yes. And we're in the middle of what I believe to be a comfortable silence. Sure. To which she says, Kevin. If you're trying to hit every pothole, you're doing a really good job. (laughs) Yes. It was incredibly clever, Uh well-worded. However, because of the dynamic and me fighting for my autonomy, what did I do? A tantrum. How dare you say that to me? Now I am going to go over every pothole. (laughs) It's just, it's ridiculous how I just fell back into a lot of my little boy behavior because Mm -hmm. that's... Just what I reverted to. But, and that's interesting too. That could be something that we could work on, right? Because maybe those are things too that we haven't worked on and fully like processed. Yeah. And maybe we're not, we're not aware of it, but we go back there and we're like, oh yeah, like this is where I revert right back to. Yeah. It's interesting, right? It made us laugh and we would call it out. That's awesome. Um, You would uh, recognize it. We'd recognize Mm -hmm. it. And um, my nickname was Grown Up Son. Ah. And that was what, and I would, remind her, I would remind her at times, yeah. are you talking to your caregiver or your grown-up son? And it would I make like us that. laugh. Yeah. Communicating. Yeah. Have you read any of the books that she listed that were her favorites? Or you said you got her like a journal just to keep notes. Just to keep of her, just so I, yeah, just to have. Have you read any of those? I'm, I know well, it's kind of a weird question, but I'm just, not just at wondering. All. But I will say that my mother and I, having so much in common, books are not one of our commonalities. She's a reader. You do not tend to be. Well, more just the choice of books. Interesting. Got it. Okay. I will read suspense mystery novels every day for the rest of my life and be completely content. 
she will read English literature mm-hmm. where it is sentences that have 30 words per sentence that she just is captivated by where I just find just like I'm trudging through it. Was she like a Shakespeare? Could mm. she do? She was a... <sighs> what? Why am I blanking? She was more of like Little Women. Sure. Yeah. Jane okay. Eyre. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and two. Yeah. I read a couple of them, but for the most part. Yeah. Different no. interests. Different, different interests. Yeah. Just in summation, yeah. different interests. <laughs> two very wonderful people with different interests, but right. so many things. And that's common. an appropriate one, right? Yes. It's like. Mom books and son boy books. <laughs> but what we do is we'd find commonalities with movies and television. We'd have those in common. That became mm-hmm. a lot of our shorthand. Right. For instance, she and I saw Superman 2 so many times together. Oh, that's so sweet. That in this movie Superman 2, Superman gives up his powers voluntarily so he can be with Lois Lane. But then general zod and the other two come and start uh, wreaking havoc on the world and he's got to get his powers back but he can't because he gave them up and there's no way to do it however there's one green crystal that is left in his fortress of solitude and he's able to off screen get his powers back so for the entirety of my life with my mother since that movie came out we would use the term green crystal in our shorthand which was whenever Whenever things just seem dark and Mm -hmm. bleak and there's no hope, what is the one thing that will bring you back? So, for instance, in her time where she's diagnosed and she's now going to die, and she knows this, that this party became, and we referred to it as the Green Crystal. Oh, I love that. That it was the thing that was keeping her going and was going to bring her powers back. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we use that all the time. So that... So books and why I paused for so long was that our real commonality was like that kind of thing. We watched right. West Wing. We watched those through twice mm-hmm. together. Movies and TV are so uniting. And even like the, the superhero ones, right? Like they get it right because families can watch that together and mm-hmm. get it and enjoy it. And, and this was 1980, 79, yeah. whenever Superman 2 came out. Right. The newer age of of superhero movies and things coming out, which is so cool. And look where it's at now. Much farther. You're a four-time Moth winner. Yes. Tell us about that. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about, you want to start the first time? Or start where you want to start. Where do I want to start? Um, So The Moth is a storytelling show out of uh, New York. It's a podcast and a radio hour. And what they do is they have shows all around the country that are called Story Slams, and you can enter your name, and then if you win that night, then you go into blah, blah, blah. You keep going. You keep going. To, okay, you to like going the next level of To the next level, which is called a Grand Slam. Okay. And then from there, what they do is they pull from their huge catalog of stories, and they, they take those, they put them on the podcast, along with some from their main stage series where they tour around the country with curated 12 to 15-minute stories that are just incredible. And you have been a Grand Slam winner. That I have not, but I've been a four-time Story Slam winner. And how many are you away then? So you're four-time. Yes. Okay. Would you need to go again, or how would that be? Mm. Like take your story to the next level, and then would that 
beaten. Well, yeah. Okay, it starts to get a little. It starts to get okay. into a. Uh, let me tell you about the rules. The rules. Of the <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, you've won four times. I won four times. Let's just go with that. And yes. Let, that sounds cool. Let's stop right on there. And it's and achieving. Very achieving. Yeah. So let's hear about that. Well, here's the main thing: is that yes. once my once I left my mother's home after all was said and done, the party was complete, her life was complete, and now I was in Act Two. Right. I have never in my life felt so compelled to tell a story that I felt everything that she and I had been through all the way with the culmination of this party was so important because we went through so much together. So much. And it's real life. And it's so much real drama. And there were times, I'm sure, you didn't know how you were going to maybe make it till the next day. Oh. it (laughs) Or the next minute. And how do you handle those emotions? I don't want to call me a hero, but because I can't think of another word for it, I was a hero. Seriously. I know. No, I don't I don't take that lightly. I mean, going through those things, yeah. And I say it uh, no, joking in humility, but for the most part, but to speak honestly, it was hard. Yeah. It was incredibly hard. I've never dealt with anything that difficult before or since. And I don't wish this on anyone else. However, I'm so glad I was there to do it. I'm so glad I was able to and do you it. And you are such a humble person. I just want to add. You are so humble and you you, you do you seem to do everything heart forward, like with your heart. Yes. Yes. This is just another, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I genuinely. You're genuine. And I like things move people. you and you, right. And you I'm feel so, things. I'm so emotional. I, I don't, I'm sure I did, but just not to the frequency. But once my mother died, it just opened up a whole new level of emotions for me that just, I find beauty in so many things now when it just overwhelms Moves me. You. I am like. Wes Bentley's character in American Beauty as he talks about looking at that plastic bag just going around yes. in the wind. I'm that word. It's just so beautiful. Yes. Yeah. In the very beginning, the intro, and then it comes back again. Yeah, he shows, and, her, yes. he shows mm-hmm. Thorne Birch video, mm-hmm. blah, 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 yes. American Beauty. But that, where I'll just become overwhelmed, but it really stemmed from that time period of just being opened up to the hardest thing I've ever dealt with, mm-hmm. how contrasted by also the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. And not being able to walk away, but also not walking away and and finding a way to find the beauty in it. And by that, I mean the party. It took me a while to get there. Yeah. Yes. And, and having just this short amount of time to know you had a a party to create. Uh, The joke. Yeah. And I loved talking about it so much because it just felt so good just to be cathartic in that sense. But did you realize it was connecting when you would tell it? Yes, immediately. Every time. Yeah, because it always. Because everyone has someone they love that is not with them or has passed away. It checks every emotional box, mm-hmm. and the story also ends triumphantly. It just doesn't end with, and then and she's we dead. We had the memorial. And it, was it was about she enters this room to a hundred person standing ovation that just is the culmination of her life, and it like that. And Patty got the party that she never had. She never had. That she deserved. And it's such a nice story and a nice wrap-up of everything that Mm -hmm. I always connected with people. And as my best friend and I used to always joke and still joke, that I can find a way to organically and naturally turn every conversation I'm in back to that time period of 2006. Wow. Because it just connects to so many different things that I'm able to... that. One, it was part of me that was just, I gotta, I just need to tell this, which leads me to 
when I first discovered what the moth was, which is just the art and craft of first person narrative storytelling, I wanted to tell this story through them. So I just started taking all the necessary steps in the hope that they would hear it and then put it on their radio and then millions of people could hear it. Yes. Yeah. And it's random how they pick to tell a story, right? For that level. But then for what goes on the radio and what goes... But you had to be randomly picked at that first level. I had to be randomly level. picked at the first level. So was that kind of amazing to you? Oh, yeah. That like, because what, there's like hundreds of people? No, 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 no. Oh, no, okay. It varies. It goes between it was- the ones in LA, it's usually about, uh, average about 20 people put their name in. So you got to... Okay. You got a one and two going into it. Okay. But still, I mean, oh, yeah. That, and yeah. sometimes it can be 45 names in the bucket. You never right. know. Right. If more people come that night. What, ha- what had happened was I won my first story slam and then I went to the Grand Slam and I told a five minute ver- version of the story about the Bon Voyage party. And I came in fourth and I had that moment of, oh no, I blew it. This was my chance to tell this story and for them to get it and hear it and then I blew it. Right, I came in fourth. I to came you, in that fourth. was fourth of ten. Okay. And a year passed, and then I got a, an email from the moth producers saying that story you told. We want to hire you to write a longer version of that to tour with us around the country, and you'll tell this to huge rooms of twelve hundred people. Yeah. So they wanted you to physically tour. They wanted me to physically tour with it because then that would be. One of those would be eventually the recording that would go on the radio. And the way it works is that you'll do it until it goes on the radio. So you could do it for a while, but then once it's on the radio, it's burned. However, it. I did it twice. It went on the radio and was burned. However, from that point, so many people got to experience this story. And I was going to say the people you were able to reach from all over the country. All right, tangent going back. Let's do it. This is, well, here, let me Let's do hear this. It. From there, when I went onto the radio, it was so wonderful because so many people got to hear this story. Then from there, I was told a couple years later, we want to use your story to appear in our second book, our 20th anniversary book for the moth, that is going to be 45 stories chosen from our 20,000 story vault. Wow. The way it was described to me was picture the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're in the warehouse putting the Ark <laughs> in there and they said your story was found in that warehouse. So it's that where Wow. So yeah, it was pretty cool. So uh then it ends up in their 20th anniversary book which comes out in March of 2017. Uh You're in the book. I'm in the book. Uh so let's go back in time to uh maybe a week, two weeks before she dies mm-hmm. and Patty's on her bed. I am sitting next to her in a rocking chair, and we are holding hands, and I am having an emotional moment. Yes. We're saying goodbye, and I said to her, nothing you and I would have been through will be in vain. I will tell this story to whoever will listen. And my English teacher mother, my English teacher mother who brought me up with words being paramount and how a beautiful literature and stories can really affect someone. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she would always say is that characters in books never die because they just live forever inside these pages. So we cut ahead to March of 2017 when finally this book has come out where her whole story all encapsulated in this chapter of this book. So when I went... Uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I went to Skylight Books so I could purchase the book 
physically have it and I walked back to my car and it was amazing just this 10-year journey of where I remember promising her that I would tell this story to whoever would listen and it was just became a motivating and driving force that I wanted to tell it and then I eventually got to the point where now it's in this book and it's fulfilling her thing of because now she's immortal because characters and books never die because she's going to live forever inside these pages and as I was sitting in my car just having that whole realization I just started to ugly cry uh. the ugliest cry I have ever had and I it was I felt it was so ugly that I pulled my phone out and just because took selfies because I wanted to, to remember, remember yourself I wanted to remember that moment and that ugly cry just because of how good it felt yes the ugly cry and all of its beauty. Yes. Because of the beautiful place it came from. Your mother, the English teacher, is now in a book. I know. It's delightful. <laughs> it is. It's really, it, it really is amazing and how it came all around. Full. Something that you could never have guessed probably 10 years ago, five years ago. No. It just, it happened. All the dots connected. It was, yeah, a series of dominoes fell in the correct pattern and order. Do you believe there's a bigger spiritual, universal thing that your mom like guides you through, guides you? Even though- I don't deny that, but I don't rely on that. Got it. That I, yeah, I... Do you ever like... I'm real hippy-dippy and I... Totally, yeah. THC sometimes makes its way into my system. Right, yes. So I'll look at things in a Mm -hmm. way that I find myself on that kind of level where... Do you ever talk to her? No. 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 Only... No. However, she is always alive to me because I can always go back and listen to the story because... Yeah, she lives forever inside that story that whenever I hear that, I cry every time I listen to it. Mm. But not out of, <laughs> I have a crippling sadness attached to this, but it's always a crying out of the beauty of it and the triumph and the fact that she does get this party and that it ends so wonderfully for her and mm. she goes out exactly the way you want to go out with your head held high. Yes. So every time I look back on that and... I'll take this kind of jokey for a second, but I used to, there were periods of time where I would go through, I'd be going through something and I just needed to purge. Mm-hmm. So I'd listen to that story because I knew it would make me cry, which would allow me to kind of get stuff out that I used to joke that that story was my emotion porn, oh. that I would just pull it out. Pull just like, oh, I need to cry. Yeah. So it just, I'll just listen to it. It is a catalyst to get yeah. get that stuff you knew you it's were. since lost its potency a little bit with me, but for the most part, it still yeah. gets me. I still am affected every time I hear that story, which means she's still alive. Yes, but not in a weird way. No, where I'm being all in that beautiful way. Yes. So, yeah, that's the story of that. It's it's one of my favorite things. The my the story of my mother's bon voyage party. I hope to do many other things in my life, but if that's the thing on my tombstone, that's fine with me. Like, right? Yeah. That's like you. He can't... took care of his mom in a really cool way and wrote about it. <laughs> that's like that's that's the tops. So where can we hear your? So it is a podcast now too. Your story. Uh, it's a number of places you can. Uh, yeah, let's tell you, people so they can listen to it because it's so beautiful. You can go to the moth.org. Okay. 
and just type in my name, Kevin McGeehan, M-C-G-E-E-H-A-N, and it'll take you to my storyteller page, and it's on there. I also have a YouTube channel, same name. Go to it. I have red hair. I'm pretty recognizable. That red hair stands out. What does having red hair mean to you? I noticed it was in your bio, too. It's that descriptor that I love because it's a fast descriptor. Do you know Kevin who? Red hair? Oh, yeah. Red hair Kevin, not the other Kevin. Exactly, because then it differentiates. Very rarely is there another red-haired Kevin. So it just, I'm just so glad that there's not something else people use as a quick descriptor. You know Kevin who? Slouchy? Oh, yeah, Kevin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's just an easy descriptor. Yes. The way I always describe red hair is that as an adult, red hair is awesome because it makes you different. But red hair as a kid sucks because it makes you different. Yes. Yeah. I got it. As an adult, I love it. It's the best. That's awesome. You've embraced it. When did you embrace it? Um, I can I relate. Into adulthood. Well into adulthood. I have that old-fashioned name, Lorraine. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, nobody got it right. It was always, oh, is your name Laura? Lauren? Yeah. How do you say it? And then... I owned it, and later in life, now I've embraced it. But I totally get it. Maybe it makes, a little, yeah, similar. I was like, oh, I just want to change my name. I just want to get. I just want to have change. blonde hair like all the people I grew up around. Yeah. And then you embraced it. And embraced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're friends with it. I love it. It's the best. Uh, but in, I think it was adulthood. At some point, early adulthood is when it got me because I remember in high school, still hating it. Okay, got it. One Maybe. time in particular. Huh, one time in particular. Yeah. I'm on the bus. I am maybe 14, 15 years old. And the bus is in the big loop where all the other buses are. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one day, a guy named, let's call him Greg. Okay. Greg. Greg decided, and Greg was the only other red-haired guy in my grade. Interesting. So Greg decides that he's going to do a John Hughes big pivotal moment where he's going to ask out the prettiest girl in our grade. I love the John Hughes description moment. Just to That's give awesome. it like, yeah, that, he's going to Anthony Michael extra Hall oomph. it into yeah. this. Uh, so he asked her out in front of the entirety of my bus. Wow. She re- she says no or whatever answer she gives, which was not a positive one. She oh, gets no. onto the bus and then all those just jackals in the bus start making fun of her because of who just asked her out Ooh, greg likes you Ooh, like that where it becomes like yeah an admonishment of you because of someone who's attracted yeah to you. that guy likes you yeah so she's taking it and then it just becomes too much for her at one point where she's about as far away from me as i am from you and she says to everyone hey guys come on he's got red hair and then she turns and sees me. Oh no! Like she just you're made like a ducking, ra- shielding. Like she just throw made a racial joke, but yeah. she gets real uncomfortable. Then looks at me and said, "No offense." <laughs> to which I mumbled, "No offense taken," or something yeah, stupid something. like that. Yeah. But it offended me and it hurt because then totally. it became the uh, "I'm a pariah." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like the vampire over there. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Oh, he's got no melanin in his skin. Yeah. Oh, he's prone to skin cancer. <laughs> yeah. It's going to take more anesthesia to put him <laughs> under. Like, there's a lot of red hair facts. Um, you've grown to love it. Love it. So take that. Take that. Sally Sue or whoever you are. Her name is gone. I don't remember what it was. 
And Greg was a made-up name, but I remember his full name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good story. That's just, I love it because so many people have, we all have differences. Like I said, my name, right? Mm-hmm. It was always, you know, some some kind of being brought up in some way. And you like either embrace those things or you don't. And when you do, it's it's kind of, again, like another layer of yourself being seen and authentic, like true to yourself. Where you're like, yeah, you know what? It may be different, but I like it. The older I get, I'm 48 now, and the older I get, the more I am. Aging sucks on a number of levels, mm-hmm. but one of the cool things about aging is the fact that you start to just not care about the things that you used to so much care about, and you can kind of realize it for what it is. Like after my mother died, once again, organically finding a way to put it back to that time period. It's such a great story, though. I know. And so much happened. I even forgot my point because I was calling out the fact that I was... As going, we age, things become... Those things oh, become right less Oh, she died, uh, so many things just seemed so inconsequential to me that when I went back to work and there were people complaining about the state of things at a backstage, I just had a, oh my God, this doesn't matter right. at all. Right. But you're getting so in a tizzy about it. Right. And the thing was, I recognized that tizzy because I had thrown that tizzy at certain points, and now I was looking at it through a whole new perspective of, this is so inconsequential. Right. You so had that was a big change for me. And then from there, just... And it continues to be that way? It continues yearly, sometimes daily, where I just look back on something and I was, oh my God, Kevin McGeehan, what are you thinking? You have been held up at gunpoint. <laughs> There's a segue. And you're, and you're still here to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, I'm happy to. <laughs> some... I'm just laughing at the segue from. I don't know what brought me there. But... My mother's death taught me this. <laughs> Great, you've had a gun in your face. What I, you... you know what? I think it's just the like the the drama of it, right? Like maybe that tied me in, but we were just talking there's about something so big, and then here, I don't know the whole story, but it sounds like you could have possibly well, here's not thing. been here anymore. Well, what makes me laugh about it yes. Well, is the fact that, well, here's the thing, is that going back full circle, I did not find this funny when it happened. In the days following it, I did not find it funny. Right. Now, I find it hysterical. And it's one of my favorite things, and I'm so glad it happened to me. However, at the time... It's amazing you can find it hysterical. But because it's, it's essentially... You get. I got to find out how I would react in a situation that I thought I would react a different way. Right. Now, that's interesting because we all, I think, have in our heads, oh, if this were to happen to me, this is what I would do. When I was a kid, I, I had a fantasy that when I was an adult that I would handle danger like Indiana Jones. That I would be... I love this, by the way, right? Indiana Jones. I mean, who doesn't want to handle danger I mean, like I him? I was 10 years old and Raiders came out, so oh, it's yeah. just like that, that just formulated me. Yes. Brave, cunning, and a cool self-aware quip at the end of the action. Totally. So that whole fantasy was dashed in my early 20s when one night I walked into my Chicago apartment and my the foyer light was burned out and my roommate decided to play a prank on me and jump out as I was unlocking the door in the dark foyer, and how I re- reacted to that perceived danger is my hands started shaking, my knees started shaking, and 
this little fancy boy who I've named Tori with an I <laughs> took over my body and let out this high pitched scream. Right. And this was I really. I think as any normal person would, they're terrified. Terrified. Right. And that's just how I reacted like a little fancy boy named Tori with an I. So. It's okay, Tori. We won't tell anyone. No one <laughs> will. Except no everyone. Except yeah. everyone. So we cut ahead a few years later, now knowing that when I, I react to danger like Tori with an I, I come back to my Chicago apartment around four o'clock in the morning because I'd just gotten back from a trip out of town. So I have all my luggage with me. The cab driver drops me off in front of the apartment. He drives off. And that's when I realized, oh no, I only brought my back door keys, which meant I had to walk all the way around this big building Mm -hmm. into the alley, cross over into our back courtyard. As I'm walking along the deserted street, a car approaches from the other side and stops about 50 yards away from me and just idles and watches me as I walk. It's weird. My spider Uh, sense goes off. Sure, you're just like... But then they mm -hmm. pull forward and then whip it into the alley, which was my destination. (gasps) So I don't have any other way in and I don't know what to do. So I walk to the edge of the building and I look around to the side and I see that they've parked about 25 feet from my gate. And I'm on the other side of that and I'm equidistant at 25 feet on the other side. So right in the middle of us is my gate. And I decide in that moment... You were going to run the other way? <laughs> I'm going to have to beat them to the gate. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I tightened my backpack, grabbed my suitcase, mm-hmm. and before I could even talk myself out of it, I started running as fast as a man can with yep. undistributed 50 pounds of luggage on him. On I get to the gate. I put my key in the lock, and I hear a car door to my left. I start to jiggle the lock, but it's one of those old keys and old locks where you got to find the sweet spot. And then I finally found the sweet spot. I open it up and I hear footsteps getting closer. Mm -hmm. I throw all of my stuff inside and I jump in. I start to pull the gate closed and then a hand grabs it, throws it open. A gun is thrust into my side. I am pushed into a dark corner and our transaction began. Kevin. I know, right? Jeez. So. And you're what, 22, 21, something? No, I'm... Uh, oh, you're at Second was, City. Are you 25, 26? 20, yeah, I'm like okay. 28. 20, okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, no, I'm going to be 30. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? But this time I did not scream because in the other time in the foyer, I was frightened. However, this time I had a time to assess what this was. So this was more fear than it was fright. Sure. And with that became adrenaline and mm-hmm. acute focus. And I became someone I did not recognize. So What'd he says, do? give me your effing money. And I just respond, I don't have it on me. It's in my bag. And he looks at me and he says, get it. So without taking my eyes off of him with a gun, I walk over to my bag. I pull out my wallet. Sure. I give him the $34 of unspent per diem. Mm -hmm. He takes it. He doesn't ask for my wallet. So I pocket it quickly. Mm -hmm. Cunning. So then. That was good. He doesn't have your license. Yes. So now I put that away. And then he goes, lie down on the ground now. And this seemed like a bad idea. And I, before I even knew what I was saying, I said, nope. And he goes, lie down on the ground now. And I don't know where it came from, but I responded, would you, if you were in my position, would you? And he somehow sensed the reason in my logic. Yes. Because without lowering the gun, he backed out and went to the gate and then disappeared. I heard the car drive off. 
I don't know why I did what I did next, but as I was standing there by myself, I said out loud to no one, pleasure doing business with you. (laughs) At that point, I was energized and I felt so good because not only had I been brave, I had been cunning, and I had set a cool, self-aware quip at the end, just like Indiana Jones. <laughs> so I go up to my apartment feeling the effects of this You adrenaline. hit all your three marks. Everything I would needed and wanted in that moment has now been hit. I'm walking up adrenalized. I walk into my kitchen, and I put down my things, and then I start to lose the effects of the adrenaline, and I start to replay the last few minutes in my head. I start to... Shake and cry? Then my hands start shaking, uh-huh. my knees start shaking, and I let out this high-pitched scream from a little fancy boy who'd lain dormant for a long time named Tori with an eye, and then I promptly just fainted. Oh my God, you physically, your body, just, just the rush. stopped. So I got to be Indiana Jones briefly, but... That could have ended very differently. Oh my God, Like yes. very differently. Oh yeah. It makes you... Think when we're not walking around like you know with shields and protectors. Like when that something like that happens, it does. It catches you off guard. It could be to anyone, anytime. I mean, you thought I, quick. You thought quick on your feet. Yeah, this is also a benefit of retrospect, and it was also that thing where so many, once again, so many different dominoes had to fall correctly. That you sensed me- out that personality quick of him too. You didn't know if he was going to not care. You know what I mean? Who knows if the reasoning you had, if he would, if that would have clicked with, been enough for him to walk away. Yeah. The burglar. I, the robber. I don't know. It's it, it, With someone, it may not have... Because here's the thing with story, which I find so interesting, is that my memory of this is my story of this. So now as I reflect back on that, it's... I look back on the story as my memory as opposed to anything else because I put my memory in the story. Yes. However, there may be things that I completely forgot. Oh, that of course. Happened, that... But that's the; those are the major. Those are the major points. points. But it's just memory is interesting to me because me too. it's infall it's fallible. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a yeah. It's not a tape recording, right? It's not like you're video recording it. You can go back, right? Um, but it's also, I think that's the part of it that personalizes it, right? That personalizes it for each of us, which is why we all have our own story. Yes, and you just did another story. I did, with the but, moth. I, but I will say this, just in a full circle thing. Yes. Just going back to what we talked about at the beginning of why is humor and laughter and funny so important to me is that with stories like my mother, mm-hmm. with the mugging, with all these different things that have just happened, that they aren't the defining factors for me in a crippling way where it's my mother died and it just it hurts all the time still. Sure. It's now... My mother died, and here's a story that I remember it as. There's a quote by Anais Nin, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, that is, stories are the only enchantment possible, for when we see our suffering as a story, we are saved. Mm. And that was one of the things, once I found ways to tell these events that happened to me that were in the moment devastating, to look at them now in a different way as a story, I'm saved, and I feel complete, and I don't let that thing get me anymore. That's going to make a full circle. But you that's why did. I find it so funny, because like... And it's a gift. Boy, 
Getting mugged sucked, but I right. find it incredibly funny now that I said out loud, pleasure doing business with you. That was ridiculous. So badass. But, but also <laughs> foolhardy at the exact same time. And like, what did oh, you Lord. really do to earn that line? <laughs> you, you, you got out of being, <laughs> who knows? Who's it for? What? Yeah, it was just, it was one of those personal moments that just made me laugh. So, but at the time, I, yeah, it's so different than with retrospect. I'm on board with that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that had to have been said after what you had just gone through. It was like... There needed to be a button. There, you, know, you buttoned yeah. it up. Do you want to tell us about the latest story you did? Because I I found this very what compelling. Specifically, what specifically about it? Well, I kind of like how they... You had a year, right? They invited you back. Mm-hmm. And I like how you shared with us how it came to you and how you decided to make certain decisions about what story you're going to tell. So can you... So September 2nd, 2018. Right. No, that's wrong. September I was gonna 4th. Say, wait, okay, so we're going 2018, back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won a Moth Story Slam. And then my next level, the Grand Slam, was going to take place on July 23rd of 2019. So just a few weeks ago. And is that pretty typical where they give you... Yeah, yeah. Okay. You because know they have you... a backlog of people. So it's, okay. Because that's the, a long time. It's the 10 winners. So they just get backed up. So it's... 10 winners of the previous 10 shows, but they have three shows a month, so it just starts to get a backlog of people. Got it. And they only do two Grand Slams a year, maybe three. Okay. So. Right. They yeah. need time to schedule and exactly. get. Exactly. Yeah. So it takes a while. So I have plenty of time to think about it. And as it was a, getting closer, there was a story I wanted to do. And. It was going okay, and I worked on maybe nine drafts of it. I told it to a bunch of different people. I told it to some of my classes just to practice it out loud. But there was one part of it that Your I, classes are the best right away. I just have to plug that. Great, <laughs> Kevin's great. classes are really the best. <laughs> You're so real and so genuine and so approachable that it makes it easy for people to put their guard down, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Does that make sense? Our opinion is mutual on this. There you go. Okay. (laughs) But it was one part of the story I was leaving out because uh, it brought me a lot of shame. But there was enough in the story that I thought, oh, this will be fine, but I'll leave out one little thing because it's not necessary. I don't want to tell all these strangers this thing that brings me shame. Right. On September 4th, 2018, I won a Moth Story Slam which meant I was going to go on to the next level, which is a Grand Slam, which is going to take place on July 23rd, 2019, so now a few weeks ago. Right. In anticipation of that, I really want to do well because it's traditionally a sold-out house of 600 people in the wow. Regent Theater downtown, so it's just it's a big crowd. That's it's a big crowd, it it's is. it's fun just to tell a big story in front of a big crowd that's really receptive. So I really want to tell one that I liked. So there was one I was working on, and I went through a number of drafts on it, but there was one little thing in the story that I was purposely leaving out because it brought me a little bit of shame. However, there was enough in the story still it was there. like going to be a little uncomfortable for uncomfortable, you to... and it was something I don't tell people. Yeah. It, like, was, it was a secret. Yeah. I Do I want everyone knowing I this? To, I don't need yeah. to tell everyone this secret. Right. So <laughs> It's my secret. It's my secret. <laughs> yes. So... I'm working and I tell this story to a number of people. I tell it to all my classes. I tell it to all these uh, different people and such. But I'm always leaving out that one nugget. So the Friday before the Monday show, I'm about nine drafts into this thing. And my girlfriend, who is a neuropsychologist, goes with me to 
Huntington Gardens so we can discuss my story in a beautiful environment and just kind of use it as a little writer's Like a peaceful treat. backdrop like a peaceful and backdrop. nice energy and yeah, she was gonna, space. And we were trying to figure out some words. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. We looked forward to it. So I asked her, what words would you use to describe me? And she said to me, and this woman who loves me, mm. likes me, respects me. Your partner. My partner. Without yes. missing a beat, she goes, kind, clever, compassionate. And I was loving everything she was saying. Sure. But I also love alliteration. So I added courageous. And without missing a beat, she goes, no. 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 And I said, wait, what? Right. You would consider me courageous? And she goes, well, no. Oh. She goes, well. She's also truthful. She's truthful. We, we, we know she's and I truthful. Said, and she went on to explain because she goes, you take risks and you do things. However, you take risks with things you're already really good at. So you're not going to fail at them. So it's not that much of a risk, even though it is a risk. To be courageous, you have to do something. You have to show courage. And for courage, you have to go into something knowing that you could fail. Mm. And she and I started laughing hysterically when I said, oh, my God, I can't argue with you on this. <laughs> you you're didn't have a comeback. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. I you can't, owned it. I owned it's, it. Like yeah. You're absolutely right. I, I have not really shown courage in a while. Taking risks. Sure. But they were really calculated. And, kind and of safe? Safe. Okay. Safe bets. Safe. Yeah. Like treasury bond safe. <laughs> so the next day, I'm walking up and down my street thinking about my story because it's not coming together. And then I have a moment of, oh my God, I've got to say the thing I've been leaving out. You've got this to say a, that one piece. It isn't a story without it. It's me covering. It's me not being real. It's me not being authentic. Trying to find a way around it. Trying to find a way around it. So I walked inside and now this idea has just infected my brain. And now I just cannot see this story any other way except with this new bit of information. So I go into my apartment to say to my girlfriend, I'm going to tell the story and I'm going to say the thing, the thing that she knew full well what it was and that I was leaving it out. And I said, I'm going to say it. And I can't think of any other way to do it. So we start working on it. We start talking about it. Mm -hmm. And we start revamping the whole thing, now looking at it through this new lens. So we get to the night of the moth. Okay. 600 sold out. This was like a month ago, a few weeks ago? uh, Like three, maybe three weeks to a month. Okay. She's in the audience, along with 599 other people. And I go up there, and I do it. And I tell the story including this thing that had brought me shame for so so long, and it was the most amazing feeling I've ever had. Here is the story. My girlfriend is named Jade, like the gemstone. Mm. She is a neuropsychologist specializing in how emotions directly affect the brain. Wow. And she looks amazing in a bathing suit. I consider her equal parts smart and hot. Good combo. It's a great combo. It's a solid, solid (laughs) combo. You got a solid combo. (laughs) If Jade were here, she would say one of the things that she loves about me is the fact that even though it may take me a while, and no matter how hard it may be, that in the end, I'll always do the right thing. 
And I don't disagree with her assessment of me because she's smart. And she would also say about me that there is another side of my personality that if I am ever too hot, too cold, tired, hungry, or it's too noisy, I become a version of myself that she lovingly refers to as Princess Baby Flower. (laughs) Yes. And while I would love to disagree with her, I don't because she's hot. (laughs) So... Because of her neuropsychology, we talk a lot about the brain. And one night, we had a very important conversation Mm -hmm. because she found out about another aspect of my personality that she had never seen before and that I'd always tried to keep secret. So one afternoon, uh, we're in her apartment. She is upstairs in the bedroom. I am downstairs in the bathroom, irresponsibly trying to get the plastic cap off of a nasal spray bottle using a steak knife. Okay, right. Inevitably, the blade slips, and I slice open my hand, Ugh. and blood shoots on the sink and my shirt. And before I even realize what is happening, my fight or flight has kicked in, mm-hmm. and I chose to fight. And my perceived enemy, the one who had caused me this pain, was me. Mm. So I looked up into the mirror, mm-hmm. and I said the following three sentences in this order. You idiot. You effing idiot. How could you be so effing stupid? I use the full words. Okay. And from there, the adrenaline, or not the adrenaline, but just the fury started to grow. And then I marched in the living room, continuing to berate and demean myself. And then when the fury got so much and it became absolutely unsustainable, Uh without even realizing what I was doing, I raised my hand in the air and doing something I would never do to another human being or an animal, I hit myself in the face twice hard. And it... And you've done it before. I had done it before. Okay. However, I had done it before, but... Completely by yourself. Yes. And sometimes I've been caught other people had seen it before, but it was simply just, this is something that wasn't frequent. Yes. And sometimes years would pass in between incidences. Right. But it started, it started in my mid-30s when I felt like all the walls were closing in. Mm-hmm. And the anger was and the too anger much. The anger was too and much. And frustration. I don't want to hurt anyone else sure. or an animal. Yeah. And I also don't want to hurt my pretty things that I own. Mm-hmm. So why not just turn it completely onto myself? Mm-hmm. It's not logical, it's nothing, it's completely unconscious, and it's nothing that I'm in any way proud of. However, when I would do it, I would sometimes time would pass and I wouldn't do it for a long time, and I would just block it out, suppress the shame. Never deal with it. I just hope that it went away on its own. It never happened again. And it was like it was like I owned a factory and I kept writing seven hundred and eighty days since the last incident. <laughs> And yeah. now suddenly we find ourselves with me having to write zero days since last incident. And what really bothered me about this is I started to calm down. My heart, I looked up and my heart sank because standing at the top of the stairs was Jade oh. and she'd seen the whole thing. And this led to a number of conversations, intense conversations where I was having trouble even making eye contact with her because I was so mortified and embarrassed. However... One of the wonderful things about her is that she deeply loves me. She wanted to help. 
and she has a way of speaking to me that is kind but doesn't make me feel defective. Yes. So the thing she suggested that I do the next time I have to deal with that is that I take a breath, identify the emotion, and as opposed to saying something to myself that is mean, instead I say something to myself that something that has compassion to it, something I would say to a scared child. So I promised her that I would do this because I wanted to change this behavior. So instead of like, you effing idiot, it's going to be okay, honey. It's going to be okay, sweetie. It's something like that, yeah. Well, so, yeah, whatever that So we cut ahead. So we cut ahead like a week and a half. Yeah. I'm in my apartment by myself, and I am pulling the glass jar of my pomade off of the top shelf of my medicine cabinet. Uh-huh. And as I'm over the sink, it comes out of my hand. Mm-hmm. And it shatters into the sink. However, not a big deal. No no biggie. We can still fix this. Because sure. what I can do is I can take the big shards of glass and I can scrape the pomade off with the my pieces. Feet, the pieces. And I can just I can salvage it. Yes. That doesn't work. Blood shoots on my on the sink and my shirt, and now I find myself in the exact same situation I was in 10 days earlier, feeling the exact same emotions, and while it would have been so easy because I was by myself to do exactly what I had always done, I did exactly what she asked, where I took a breath, I identified what I was feeling, and as I, as I pulled glass out of my hand through gritted teeth, I said, it's okay, chief, just an accident. Awesome. And then I felt better. Uh-huh. And I was so self-aware of what was happening because I was self-aware to do the thing she said because I didn't want to do it again. So it was a lot of self-awareness happening. Mm-hmm. But once I said that, I felt myself feel better. And once I realized just how that compassion was making me feel, I had a moment, a Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Goodwill Hunting, it's not mm-hmm. your fault moment. And I just started repeating over and over, it's okay, chief, mm-hmm. just an accident. And one of the things Jade had said to me was that if you do this type of thing enough, what it will do is it will retrain the brain to have a healthier default behavior whenever you're triggered. So now, every time I... Well, let's go that back to the That will be moment. like your go-to. That's the go-to. The go-to now. You've helped so now, to change it. So now, in this, I say, it's okay, Chief, and then I completely... And I get through without incident or even any sort of fury. And I run to my phone and I call Jade and I say, Jade, guess what? I cut my hand and I did the thing you said and it totally worked. And it could have been the excitement of my voice or the fact that I upheld my promise. But she started to cry. Yes. And because I react to crying the same way I do to vomiting, I started crying myself, and it was a really pretty moment between Vicariously, us. contagiously, yes. And it has been two years since that, and even though there are still times where I will act like a princess baby flower, it has been a long time since I have hit myself, nor had the desire to do it. Because, as Jade always says... Oh, because I've also taken really big steps to retrain my brain. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier for it to go to that so much place easier. now. Because as Jade always says, the thing she loves about me is that no matter how long it takes or no matter how hard it may be, in the end, I'll always do the right thing. To yourself, too. And that was the last line of my story that night at the Moth. And I couldn't believe that I had just said to the 600 people that I've hit myself. I've committed violence against myself in an uncontrollable way, which is something that I had so much shame with for so long. That's so uncovering of yourself, yes. But it was the most invigorating feeling because after the show was done, when I walked off 
stage and into the audience, a woman grabbed me immediately and said, I've been suffering from PTSD for the last five years, and you found a way to word something that I've never been able to word. And it was just this really pretty moment between us. And then, uh, How I, powerful is that? It was so you powerful. You found a way to word something that I've been struggling with my whole life that I didn't know how to say, but it's been plaguing me. It gets better. That's like, As we're walking out to the parking lot, these two women drive by in their car, and uh, they yell at the window, you got robbed, because I didn't win. And You did get robbed. I walked over to them to introduce myself, and as I shook the driver's the driver's hand she squeezed my hand and said my daughter does the same thing and i'm going to go up and tell, i'm going to go home and tell her your story she whispered so it she, she whispered, whispered it that's... because she didn't want to do it in front of a friend so it was just this you don't was... want the judgment you just whisper but it didn't even be that way right but she whispered it but that's such a big step even that she's but it was like a sincere moment between yes. us. I think she just like... She, want, she needed you to know. So like that right there was the most wonderful feeling to me. And I have since had a number of people who have heard this story tell me they've done the same thing. That they try, Yeah, it's the power of story. And once again, it is a thing that brought me shame for so long. But once we see our suffering as a story, we are saved. We're free. And as Jade said to me when I walked up to her after the show that night, the first thing she said after I'd accomplished this was, that was so courageous. Oh, it was. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like the most, to, to be that vulnerable and share those dark, intimate secrets that we hold. Yeah. yeah it's so freeing. And it helps everybody else. Think how many people, so there were 600 people in that audience, but think about the people they've told. And they've told, and it's that ripple effect. And I think it's also primalist storytelling. We want, it's been in our lineage since the birth of people. And there's something so powerful. I had a friend who came to see the show, one of my very, very good friends. And it was the first time he'd ever heard that and knew that about me. And I could see him being a little reticent, just like, oh, wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Because it, like I, I, he's like I don't do that. And, and you are such a sweet, happy, fun, go lucky guy. You know what I mean? You, you, that's what I mean. It could be anybody yeah, that has anybody. stuff they're dealing with. Everybody deals with we. Anger is not something that we need to support. Like anger is an emotion that we must go through. Yes, it helps us affect decisions and such. But it's just when fury mm-hmm. comes into it and becomes an uncontrollable energy mm-hmm. that makes someone hit someone else or do harm to others or whatever. We all deal with it on some level. Mine just happened to be turned inward. To the self. So, uh, a few days ago, that good friend calls me. He says, I want to tell you something. He goes, today I was going around my house. He goes, I took two bits of advice from you today without you even knowing it. He goes, the first one was, uh, I have to memorize something long. So the advice I always gave him was, if you have to memorize something long, get it down, and then just in any free moment you have, just say it out loud, even if you're doing a mundane task, like you're washing dishes, just say it out loud, just so it becomes in your bones. Mm. So he said, I'm, I was taking your advice, and I was memorizing something so I can get it in my bones, and every time I messed up, I would just call myself the nastiest names. I would say, you effing idiot, what are you, eh? and then on the, after the third time he did it, he said, I realized what I was saying to myself and then I understood like, oh my God, I do the same thing to myself that you were talking about in your story, but I didn't realize it because I was just calling myself names mm-hmm. and that negative self-talk. 
He goes, the next time I messed up, I said, it's okay, chief. Mm-hmm. And he said, it totally worked. Mm-hmm. My point is, it's, I guess we've already covered this point, so it's redundant, but I love how story can affect people and it can make us see things in a perspective we didn't see things before. Yes, and yeah. learn and learn from things, and and also to who knows if yeah he's he's saying the same things you know calling himself new. It's so e- why is it so easy for us to berate ourselves too sometimes? You know, like we go there, and then who knows if that would have escalated down the road in a few years to maybe physical violence, who knows? you know, or but, a different or cutting or something different, right? But even just staying in the present, yes, it's amazing how we have such negative self talk. I'll speak for myself yes. once again. I'm around myself 24 hours a day, and mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of me. Mm-hmm. However, I am going to inevitably annoy myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And because I'm such a big fan of me, I know I'll come back even if I call myself an effing idiot. That's a really great way of saying that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I have no choice but to be right? around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can... But I, I think it also comes, the, the gem is the self-compassion. Mm-hmm. that Jade was talking about. And if we can be self-compassionate, which is hard, it's not always easy, not especially always easy. when we feel like the stakes are high and there's a lot of pressure, we can be so much more compassionate to people out there. When someone's angry, we want to like meet them with their anger and then one-up them and then they want, and it's like, I think we got to be more compassionate. Instead of going up and meeting them there, maybe back down a notch and be like, hey, What's going on? Let's talk about this. Is there something bothering you? Because it's really not about this fist fight we're about to have, most likely. Everything's bubbled over. Me cutting my hand was not the reason I freaked out, but it was the final straw in a huge Mm -hmm. haystack that landed on a camel to really mix metaphors. (laughs) But it was the thing, it just, it, it just opened up everything else I had been mm-hmm. bottling up. Mm-hmm. And that's what's. And we all have that. We, all have, we that. all have our bottles that are, you know, overflowing, and we gotta know how to empty them before they get to that point. Yeah. Be good to ourselves. What a beautiful story, and what a story that you shared to everybody. Thanks, Thanks for that. My pleasure. Are you going to say where can we listen to the story? Is it is it videoed anywhere? It's videoed, yet? but I won't. I won't have access to the video for yeah. a few more weeks, but eventually I will. Okay. But I've started telling this one now as just part of my repertoire, so awesome. I'll have more okay. recordings now, if, of it. If people want to listen to it when it comes out, how can they, do they contact my you? YouTube, oh, my YouTube. You'll post it on your YouTube page? Yeah, that YouTube, the aforementioned YouTube page, Kevin. Kevin McGeehan. M-C-G-E-E-H-A-N. And I'm going to end on one more question, one last note um, that I usually leave off on. What is the hardest thing about storytelling and what is the best? The hardest thing is that there's not just one telling of something. Because you can approach things from so many different ways. Mm. The thing I like about it, the thing I've always had trouble with fiction writing, Mm -hmm. is that you're creating a puzzle from nothing. And you're creating all the pieces. So sometimes that puzzle can go in so many different ways it can be difficult because yeah, it's not written yet for me with storytelling from things from my life. I already know how they turned out. Mm-hmm. So that part of the story is already complete. Now it's just finding words to describe this thing that I already know how it turned out. That's the hardest part. 
Well, that can be the challenge. That can be the challenge yes. because there's so many different ways to look at things. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between anecdote and story. Anecdote is the thing that happened. The story is how you were affected, impacted, or changed by that thing that happened. So it's not just about me getting mugged. So yeah, I was in my, uh, I got mugged. But now it's about me always wanting to act a certain way in danger. Here's an example of when I was in danger and how I was affected by that. So it's Mm -hmm. bigger than just the event itself. itself. Right. Because we all have events that happen to us, Mm -hmm. which can fall into the kind of a who's cares category of, Mm -hmm. I was in a car wreck. No, no, no. Not who cares to diminish it, but just a lot of people have been in car wrecks. Mm-hmm. But if you the tell, Twitter category, yeah, but if you tell me <laughs> that I got in a car wreck as I was headed to go do this important thing in my life, mm-hmm. that's gonna like that's gonna be and how it impacted how it me impact- or that other person. Yes, so it's it's bigger than that. So I don't know if this answers the question fully, but I took a long circuitous route to get here. Sometimes the hardest thing is finding which way you're going to approach the bigger story how are you affected by this thing because there are certain things like the the story about greg and asking the girl out that i told earlier mm-hmm. that's just an anecdote mm-hmm. but to go bigger of how that affected this guy with red hair that let that be a pivotal moment that i looked upon red hair as a, mm-hmm. a pejorative thing as opposed to more beneficial thing that i find it now yes so and the second question is, what do I love about it? Yes. What, what's hard about it? And what do you love about it? And I think people with red hair also get gray way later. Yeah. So there you go, and too. Like they from, have pigment in their hair for longer. So We also have more hair per square inch. And aside from Ron Howard, we very rarely lose our hair. Yes. So many red-haired people I know have this like thick, lustrous hair at, at all stages. More hair per square inch. <laughs> There you, go. there you go. It's a fact. Yeah. Uh, what I love about it, I love the fact that I can talk to people about things that bothered me so much earlier in my life in a way that is helpful to them now, mm-hmm. which in turn helps me. Period. My mother's death is now a story. It is a story with a triumphant ending, and I feel good every time I hear it. The mugging affected me, yeah. but it is now... A funny story. I'm saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it gets less scary, right? The yes. more you share it. Yes, it's, it's. I was scared to stand in front of 600 people and tell them that I've hit myself. Yeah, scared. Yeah, I was really petrified. I was backstage, pacing, mm-hmm. talking to the other performers, but I really wasn't paying attention to anything else. Uh, but what I was doing throughout the night was I was subtly taking paper towels and replacing the ones from underneath my armpits and putting two new ones under that I had brought with me from home a huge pile because I knew I'd be sweating profusely because I didn't know how this would go Mm -hmm. and I could have failed miserably. So Vulnerability can be so scary. There is strength in vulnerability. People think that's a weakness, but it's such a power. It is. I think that's so wonderful that you shared with us your story because it goes to show us that men, women, we can all share our stories and it it does empower you. In fact, that's when it really frees you up and I think sometimes society makes us feel the other way and that's not it at all. And um, you're just a great example of that. So thank you so much and 
thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's great to have you. Thank you, Lorraine. Share with us your stories. Thanks, Kevin. My pleasure.